Okay. I'm going to need you to do an axle jump, then backflip into a bestie squat. Think you can do that? Hey! Oh, oh, oh no. There, there's costumes. Well, this podcast thing isn't taking off, so we're going to get Aaron into the Winter Olympics figure skating. I said I wanted to get into their locker room, not into the games. Hey, we've come too far. Mohawk turn, double axle, land on a split, go! <sighs> Fine. Um, you do know the Olympics are, like, half over right now, right? This year's, yeah. That's why we're training for next year. Oh, okay. That that makes sense. Yeah, sports is definitely a thing we understand. Completely. Oh, wow. Aaron's actually pretty good at this. Now hydroglide and stack Oh, oh, and uh, try a triple axle. That looks painful. Well, uh, so much for that idea. Should we uh, give podcasting another shot? Yeah, I'm not wearing an outfit with that many sequins. My leg! Ooh, we should try curling with the stone. Ooh, we could try curling. Please listen carefully. With my foot on the gas and hands on the wheel, I am JR, your driver and host. Riding shotgun with pen always to paper, we have Aaron. You're standing in my kumquat. Okay. Uh, and riding in the back with a stack of books roughly four times her height is Virginia. I'm sorry, I ate all the cookies. Um. We're your three titular writers, and we're here to turn through the craft, the culture, and the careers of being a writer. Our first left turn today is uh, keeping the fire alive. Aaron, I'll let you take it. Um, I was not prepared for that. <laughs> clearly, yeah, clearly, Aaron didn't read these ahead of time. I, I read them and not to number them, like put them in a thing, and I'm like, oh, this kind of has a flow, and then totally <laughs> forgot while I kind of scrambled to get my new computer together for a minute. But go ahead, Aaron, you can take us away. Yeah. Sure. This literally is just something I was thinking about at work today, but like, as I was sitting down, um, like looking at the future of like the projects I want to work on, I realized that I don't feel the same way I did it about the projects I used, like I have in the past. Like this, like it's not less passionate. Like I guess it, how to say. I just feel like I have a more realistic approach. Mm-hmm. Um, like, or, like my expectations are lower. Like I don't, ex- I don't invest so much in the work or in, like any individual story because the. Whether or not it like takes off is sort of outside my control. You know, all I can do is show up and write it. Right. And it just, um, yeah, it feels much different. Um, do, do you guys have similar experiences? Like, try to collect my thoughts on this. <laughs> yeah, well, you try to collect your thoughts on your own topic that you should have come prepared for. Hey, shut up! I don't take notes. <laughs> I don't take notes. I mean, I I can definitely relate to this because. Um, Damn, this would be like a great segue to the next topic, but you know, whatever. Let's not comment segues right, right. or anything. Sorry that I think um, we should do the topic before we move on to the next topic, but <laughs> <God>. <laughs> I love how we're truly staying on right. topic here. All right. So um 
keeping the fire alive. I totally understand this because when I first got my amazing job, which I still very much love, don't get me wrong. Um, God, you'd have to get me to leave it kicking and screaming. But I had this idea of the publishing world. And I had this idea of where my life was going to go. I had the idea of like New York City, Hobnobbing, three martini lunch, editing yeah. skills, finding that New York Times bestselling author. I'm and right here. then, right, exactly. <laughs> and I mean, it's not that that dream is dead, it's just that the dream became real, mm-hmm. but not in the sense that I'm living that part of my life. It's more just that you start realizing the actual real steps involved, right. and you're kind of like, you know, it's like, oh, that's actually a lot of hard work. I don't know if I want to put in that effort. Mm-hmm. But then that's where the true motivation comes in, I think, because you have that fire and that's what I feel like your first level. But mm-hmm. where your real motivation lies is if you can push past that reality I and agree. start really coming through. So I get it. Um, in terms of writing, I, it's, I it's, my love with writing has never changed. It's just time hates my love of writing. <laughs> I hear you. It yeah. is interesting that, like, you you know, you when you get st- like it's the real passion that gets you started. But what sustains you after the passion starts to you know after you've done this yeah. for a while? It's interesting right. to try and figure that out. Like the honeymoon yeah. period is over. Right, right. It starts out as just a dream, and then as the closer you get, the more perspective you have to what it actually is, and in a way, like you do grow up to have a different relationship with the work than you originally have it when you're still in college and have all those big dreams about grabbing the world by the balls and just like making it your thing. And then it's just like, Oh no, like I have to go through actual processes and I've got to do my laundry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I got to pay bills. Adulty stuff. Yeah. So yeah, I, I think becoming more professional, I don't think, means that like the fire goes out or even dies down it just means that you have you're able to sort of control it and focus it into different ways more and sure a giant bonfire looks really cool but it's also a huge waste of energy until like you sort of build stuff around it and kind of focus it into a steam engine of sorts a bunsen burner yes although i don't think that's Quite right, but sure. It's uh, focused, you know. Why not? It's not fire. Yeah. One thing I remember that I wanted to say about this topic before we leave it um, is I am a- I'm actually interested to see, like, if the writing improves because of this. Like, if, if you take, uh, like, a more dispassionate approach to it, will I be able to focus more on, like, the structural problems with the story and stuff like that? Because in the past, I know, like, it's always the idea that sort of comes first, and the idea was so powerful to me. I was like, well, I can't, like, alter it too much, or else the idea will, you know, lose its potency. Mm-hmm. Like with the stuff I'm working on now, I'm like, because I'm less passionate about it, I'm much more willing to like change it in big ways, you know? Mm-hmm. So I'll be interested to see what happens. I think also being able to separate yourself and start being willing, like that kind of sets you up to finally be able to kill your darlings mm-hmm. and create mm-hmm. a story that's important for story you want. Also, what, do you, what exactly do you mean by like less passionate about it? Well, like I was thinking about um the journey of the Helios story that I've been working on for a long time. Mm-hmm. And for that one, like, I was like, oh, this is so good. And, like, when my characters would cry, I would cry and stuff like that. But now as I'm working on newer stuff, I'm like, okay, this needs to happen. You know, da-da-da. Like, here's the character's emotional arc. But I'm less, like, personally involved. It mm-hmm. feels, you know, like, 
maybe maybe I've written those stories that like are all about me now, and I'm really working on just more story in general. Okay. I don't know. Yeah, that makes sense. But I also think there is sort of that first time is like it's like it's really powerful and really emotional, but it also mm-hmm. may not be as good and you're sort of more focused on like the journey of it whereas now you sort of you you know the journey you know the beats of telling these a story like this so you can sort of work more on the craft of it and making sure it's a good journey right i agree seconded upvoted (laughs) one other thing is i think it also shows you're on the right path if you allow the fire to transform but not disappear that means you're in your right spot it's not just Oh, great idea. And then, you know, you know, like the shiny new toy syndrome. It's not a shiny new toy. The fact that you still want to push through, you still want to keep going, Mm -hmm. says that you're on the right path for what you want to be doing with your life. And that's a wonderful thought. I certainly hope so. I love how we we stuck with this fire metaphor the whole time. Oh, it it works. It does. (laughs) And I do appreciate the, you know, bonfire, Bunsen burner. It's great. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. It's like it's almost like we do this, you know, all the time. This writing thing. Yeah, I know. Maybe. It, it's almost like we constantly are working with metaphor and figuring out new ways to make it work. But you know, mm-hmm. yeah. almost, uh, almost speculation, speculation, really. But yeah, it, it's good that like if the sort of unbridled passion is going away, you still have the drive to do the work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm kind of like going through a huge production uh, productivity shift in my life right now. Anyway, uh, as I listen to all the CGP Gray podcasts, as he that's right. he, he has kind of become my guru in a way, which is a weird thing to say about a guy who's kind of known for being robotic. Why not? But yeah, I'm also trying to like find different ways to harness the fire and use it to be more productive in all of my different creative outputs including this podcast which hopefully will go up a lot sooner rather than later which but i mean if virginia just wants to talk about how she hates books now and how books are the worst thing because that's what she wrote (gasps) okay let's not go that far (laughs) okay the note is literally hating books just well yeah because it's all right so to to which I think is a proper uh, flowing point. So when I mentioned that there are certain things that I've become a little jaded by, one of them is that not every book is awesome. And not every book that my publishing house writes or publishes is gold. You know, sometimes they're just not my cup of tea. Oh, God. (laughs) I know, right? Originally, I thought every book was awesome, and I was just a horrible person if I didn't like it. Now I'm like, no, there are actual terrible books. Anyway, um, so there's this one book that I had to read because everyone in my office read it, and I felt the come to peer pressure. And it's also like a really major book coming out for us, so it's like, okay, cool, let's let's see what everyone's talking about. And it has all the elements that I would appreciate in a book. And I'm going to try to be vague mm. because, yeah, yeah technically not coming out until the fall also like if it is a book that like you do deal with professionally so it's understandable that you're not going to call it out you can't shit talk it on the air (laughs) but what i will say is um you know this is a book that had all the elements i would love it was it had uh the right type of genre it had the right type of protagonist it had the right type of intriguing plot line um the writing style was set up to be, you know, this really 
like slow moving, but slow moving in the sense that you appreciate everything that's going on in the storyline. But I hated it. I literally hate this book. And I only pushed through it because I wanted to understand why I hated it. And I, I did. Once I finished the book, I actually figured out why I hated it. And it sparked these fascinating conversations between me and my co-workers because they're like in adoration of this book. Like this book shit's gold sort of thing. And I'm just like, no, this book is not good. And I got into a fairly heated conversation with a couple of them at once about it. And like my boss is now making fun of me as like this is my this is the bane <laughs> of my existence is this book. And, and it crossed my mind that yeah. there are books that are bad. There's the books that you don't like, but then there's the books you hate because nothing it did worked. Not, and, and not just books, stories, graphic novels, films, what have you. It's, there's those things that everyone loves, but you hate it. And fortunately for me, I have a legitimate reason. And I've actually said it to other people and they're like, no, that's actually a fair reason to hate the book. If you're not like, you know, being pissy for the sake of pissy. And, and then one of my coworkers, though, she then asked me, you know, why did you push through the book if you hated it so much? And I told her, well, I hate hating things. I hate hating things for the sake of hating. I want to understand why. And then it just made me want to go, wait a second. Why don't we talk about this on the podcast about hating stories? Do you ever accept that a story is terrible and you hate it on the surface? Or do you feel compelled to want to dive in and understand why you hate it on like a thematic, symbolic, you know, grammatical level? And if so, what are some examples? So... Yes and no for me. Because if it's just not my cup of tea, I'm not going to bother looking more into it than, oh, this is just not my cup of tea. Um, Like, this is kind of my feeling with Steven Universe. Like, everyone seems to love it. I don't. I find it incredibly boring. Uh, I think it's just not my cup of tea, and I kind of let it go there are a few other things where like if it seems to be my cup of tea or would be my cup of tea I'll sort of dig more into it and be like okay so why is this specifically not connecting with me is it the characters that just aren't doing it is there some way with the storytelling that I just can't click with and I definitely think there is always that sort of as I like to call it the Elaine Bennis problem, like when she saw the English patient and everyone was raving it and she absolutely hated it. And you just want to be like, what is it with you people? Like, how is this like the thing that you'd like? It sucks. What are you doing? <laughs> like when I went to go see yeah. Finding Dory a couple of years back and I went with a bunch of people who all loved uh. it. They thought it was one of the best movies ever. And I was like, Anna, it kind of sucks. <laughs> okay, I wouldn't go that far with Finding Dory, but it was nowhere near Nemo level. I will agree with that. I mean, I, but personally, I even think Nemo is a little overrated, but like it's still good. I just oh. think people hold it to a standard that it doesn't deserve. But once again, that may just right. be my cup of tea. But right. Um, as for me, I can't say I do this too much anymore. Like I, like I, I do find books that just don't click with me for whatever reason, like um, A Darker Shade of Magic I told you guys about before, and a few years back I read this book called Grave Grave Mercy, I think it was called, that everyone was like, it's, um, it's great, 
book and I thought it was literally terrible. Like I, I could not believe it was a published book, but I wasn't really interested in like why it was that. I just knew like I didn't like it. But um, back in the day when I was first getting into story and like watching my soaps, I would definitely engage with them and be like, why is this so terrible? Because I would I would watch ones from like the 80s and be like, this is really good. And to watch the ones that were airing at the time and be like, this is really terrible. And look at why that was. Like, what were they doing differently? And that was really my first uh, sort of dipping my toes into the what, what story is, what makes story work. Mm-hmm. But um, these days, yeah, mostly I just, if I don't like it, I don't like it. Usually I'm pretty strict about finishing things though. So if I'm really hating a book, I will be like, this is so terrible. And I, I just kind of like look at, you know, I can't help pick out all the terrible things about it. I'm not too analytical about it, though. Like, I don't want to improve it. I just want to get finished with it. <laughs> yeah. I do think not so much I look into why I hate something, mm-hmm. but if it is successful and I do hate it, I do look at why other people like it. Sure, that's interesting. Oh, yeah. I think that's much more helpful from a writing perspective. Like, I did this a lot with Twilight. Because Twilight, I don't, I don't get Twilight. <laughs> maybe a dude but you know there are guys who like it i'm sure two or three of them no i i and i don't mean i don't i don't mean like because i'm a man because specifically like i'm a dude like i am this type of male person who's just kind of like chill and not really into like the big romancy thing mm-hmm, right so yeah, I, I don't mean to say that like men can't like Twilight. Men can like Twilight. I just don't think the ideal of dudeness is particularly lends itself to Twilight. But once sure. again, off track. <laughs> but I did try to figure out why Twilight was so popular and like what about it was hitting those switches for the people who did like it to sort of be like, okay, here's something that I could then try to use later on why other people liked it, but I didn't. Right. You're going to engage with that for your use its power for good. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, like, to be fair, because I've, I had these great, argu- great arguments with my coworkers, they gave me decent reasons why other people will like this book. And I'm pretty sure the book's going to succeed. And I'm pretty sure it, I'm just one of few. But I do feel like, you know, it's nice to know why, you, yeah. why I did it like Absolutely. this instead of just crossing it off the list. Also, honestly, I find those conversations way more interesting than like, oh, we all like this thing. Sure. Yes. Generally, yes. we'll all like it in the exact same way. But if someone likes it and someone dislikes it, there's more of a conversation there, kind of a mm-hmm. yeah. debate to be like, okay, well, why did this work for you? Why didn't it work for you? Mm-hmm. Um, what were you getting out of it? What was I getting out of it? But yeah. Like, what did you catch that I didn't? Right. What did I miss? What did you miss? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, and what was really fun about this particular book is that this book per- takes an obvious political side, and the challenge was to not use that against the book. Uh-huh. And that was that was really fun for me, was trying to find ways I didn't like the book, not because of its political values, but for other reasons. And there were plenty. <laughs> that could be just my hatred seeping in. So. Now I do have to ask the question because you are the resident Republican on the podcast, right? Was there is this a particularly liberal leaning book, and is that one of the reasons you were having difficulty engaging with it? See, I thought so too. I thought that was possibly it, mm-hmm. but like I realized it wasn't because all the liberal bullet points i guess so basically the main liberal themes in it were things that i can usually look past on a daily basis 
or I can usually not necessarily look past, but accept as, okay, this is the way the author believes. This is how she wants her characters to believe. Fair dues. Let's move on. You know, like none of them were blatantly like attacking the core of my beliefs right. enough that I couldn't look past it. So I realized, no, I wasn't hating it for its various political mm-hmm. values. So because one of its biggest problems is that it was very heavy handed and going like, hey, 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 this is a liberal value over here. Hey, hey, look at this. Look at that. And that was my biggest problem related to the politics of the book was that she kept going like, hey, did you see that? Did you see my liberal leading right here? And that's like, no, I, I don't need to see that because you asking me to notice pulls away from the story. Mm-hmm. Sure. JR, that sounds like um, a good place to transition to the next topic. Oh, mentioning the next topic is a good place mentioning to Mentioning it. Topic. Look at that. It's a, it's, a good, it's a good place. How about that? A good place to transition. Do you see a good place to do the transition is right here. <laughs> I feel like we're going to create an indent in his death from him just banging his head on it. This was different because I will say that was a great segue that I did not catch until he had to lay into it. And then I was like, fuck. Uh, he's doing a thing. <laughs> he's doing a thing. He's doing a thing. Yes. Okay. Clever boy. So... The Good Place is, if not, one of, if not the best TV show out right now. Full stop. It's awesome. Except for the finale of its second season, which just wrapped up a couple weeks ago. I heard about this finale. Oh, boy. I Okay, so... I'm assuming Aaron has not seen any of the show because he doesn't really watch. I've seen the first episode. You saw the first episode? Mm-hmm. Okay, so you know the I know, I know the idea. Uh, Virginia, do you have any familiarity with the show? Yeah, I, I understand the gist of it, and I heard some of the jokes, and they're hilarious. And I know of the finale and what you speak of. Okay, so full-on spoilers. We don't normally give spoiler warnings, but. The Good Place is one of those shows where if you watch the first season knowing nothing going in, it's one of the best TV experiences and has a lot of rewatchability. I've rewatched the first season like three times. It's really fun. But here's the spoiler. At the end of the first season, they have one of the best game-changing finales because it turns out that they have been in the bad place all along and they are being tortured by the other people because of how incompatible they are with each other. Now, the second season is all about them trying to get out of the bad place and sort of dealing with the fact that Michael, the Ted Danson character, has been resetting them, trying to get his good place version of the bad place to work, and then eventually gets Michael onto their team, and they try to get away, and they finally meet the real judge, played by the amazing Maya Rudolph. And in the final episode, they give one last test, saying, okay, we're going to put you right back before you died, and see if you would still become more moral from there. Like maybe we took you too soon and you were going to get into the good place eventually if we just let you live. And then it ends by just two of the characters meeting up in this sort of simulation. Mm-hmm. And and that's kind of like it. it it's 
total cliffhanger. I see. Instead of the sort of game changer that the first season ended on, just like, oh, that completely recontextualizes everything. We now have a clear direction of where the show is going in its second season from the first season finale. Whereas this one, it's kind of like, oh, we don't know anything. Like, this is just a thing that happens, and we're kind of, we're not left with any consequences. Nothing really gets wrapped up at this ending. And it, like, this was the first time in this show that I loved that I was just like, fuck this show. <laughs> oh, no! Wow! We're going to season three when it came up, but it, it, that ending pissed me off so much. Yeah. And you don't, you don't cliffhanger, and you especially don't cliffhanger at the end of the season. You wrap something up, you change the game, and then you go about doing more stuff later. Yeah, just leaving it in a moment of action is just kind of lazy to me because, like, yeah, of course we want to see what happens next, but what happens next can be completely cutting the feet out from under this premise and having the one character, like, throw the other character out of the college that he works at and not having anything really come about from that moment. Like on writing excuses, they say never end a chapter with a knock at a door. End a chapter by showing who the person is on the other side of the door and then living with those consequences. Mm -hmm. So I'm not crazy here, right? Like that's a terrible end. No, you're not crazy. I uh, I heard of it and I was just like, really? Uh, they didn't, there's no like hint? If I, was, I even went... What about Easter eggs? Maybe there's something in the corner that you might have missed. Nope. Apparently not. Yeah. Yeah, it does just seem, I agree with you. It seems just really lazy. Yeah. Like they got, they got to the end and they're like, oh, I don't know. We'll figure it, we'll figure it out next season. Right. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and that is lazy. It seems like, like the, it strikes me that it's kind of similar to J.J. Abrams' Mystery Box. Like just because you created a question for us does not make it interesting. Yeah. Witness like Ray's parents in Star Wars, like unless like you ha- like we have to trust that you have some kind of plan for it. And it, it, what you're describing sounds like they just kind of like needed a big surprising ending, so we'll keep something from the audience. What I kind of wish they had done, I guess, pad out another episode is probably not the best idea. But I think if the final moment was Eleanor Kristen Bell's character getting saved from the shopping carts that killed her in the very first episode and having it be like oh now we're going to sort of live in this other timeline or simulation and like sort of that being sort of a nice game changer of sort of where we're going forward with it instead of just yeah like, that sounds almost like the natural like next step given what you've told me about like the previous seasons you know yeah instead of like sort of just starting that right at the end and then sort of being yeah like this episode felt much more like a season opener than a season mm-hmm. finale. Right. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know if like they should have just moved this episode to the next season or what, but yeah, it's, it's not working. No, yeah. very frustrating. I, I, I really want to circle back to that interesting bit of writer's advice you mentioned of just a couple minutes ago about don't leave with someone knocking at the end of a chapter. Leave with opening the door and seeing who it is. Mm-hmm. And that is like, I've never heard that. And I wish more writers have because yes. <laughs> here are several books where I'm just like, oh, okay. And I mean, yes, I, I, I do recognize the idea of you want to build the suspense. You want to build the thrill by saying, and then something moved. Mm-hmm. And then you wait right. until the next chapter to see what moves. And I get that. But then there's those who 
really do tend to overdo it or because they say, and then something moves. And then the next chapter is like, so the next day, and it's like, well, what happened? Yeah. Yeah. What moved? Did you, did you do anything? Like, and, cheating. And, yeah, exactly. And with TV shows, I feel like that type of ending is them going, well, we don't know what we're going to write in the next season, so let's just set it up so that we can try a bunch of things yeah. and then see what lands, which feels very lazy and feels like you you clearly didn't think the show was going to last past its pilot, and that's a problem. Yeah. <laughs> And also, like, um, like we're seeing with us here, like it, it sort of discredits you with your audience and makes them not trust you. And when that happens, then you're really, it's really hard to get that back. When an audience is second guessing yeah. everything you're doing, mm-hmm. then you've, I mean, it's hard to come back from that. And, and what's because they're gonna find all the little yeah, mistakes. And what's really heartbreaking. This, this is the first negative I found in the show. Like, I feel like every episode has been hitting it out of the park. Like each episode, either raises the stakes or changes the game or like reinvents itself. There's so much good in this show that to have this finale be so weak is just so frustrating. So to sort of build on what Virginia was saying, to relate it to a phrase from a defunct series of podcasts that I don't want to mention because of how they ended, a great piece of writing advice that I got from them was end with a game changer, not a cliffhanger. End with something that changes the game, that sort of gives you a nice feeling of wrapping up, but also starts something coming down the line as well. Because a cliffhanger just gives you no feeling of resolution, which is something you'd never want to feel at the end of something. Like, you want to feel like something was resolved, not just paused in the middle of. Right. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Yeah. So, yeah, that's my ranting frustration. <laughs> A fair rant. <laughs> still, still go watch The Good Place. It is some of the best TV, and Kristen Bell is just amazing, and Ted Danson, and all of the uh, amazing other actors and actresses are all just... It, it's truly some of the best television. Go watch it. Do it now. Yeah. Aaron. Yes, J.I. Oh, is it my turn? Oh, just, 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 you know what you're doing. Just... <laughs> Okay, so you guys know that I've been working for the past few months on a superhero story, right? Mm-hmm. Power Rangers thing. Well, over the weekend, I decided I'm going to put that on the back burner for now and start something different. And the reason, I mean, like I've been struggling with this story for a long time, trying to, part of it is what I was talking about before. Like I just didn't feel like passionately about it. Like I knew I had an outline, like I knew how to get to the ending from where I was, but like I just almost didn't care enough to get there. And I would go, I kept going back and like looking at what was wrong and how to fix it. And I just couldn't figure it out. Like in some ways, the story is too big. Like there's a whole bunch of different plot lines and character arcs. And I just feel like it needs more focus or something. But I'm taking some time to step away from it now and let it sit. Later on, I'll come back to it. But it struck me that in some ways, like I've known this story has had problems like since the beginning, but I kept working on it for months and months. And then just this weekend, I finally said, you know what, let's take a break. And I'm curious, like with you guys, like when do you reach that point where you're like, this isn't working, let's try something different because for me it took forever and i finally i just um got so tired of like every i, I could finish a chapter and then like try to figure out like how to start the next one i'd be like oh god not again my process is a bit different because i tend to work on a bunch of different things at once mm-hmm. so if i'm not feeling it on one thing i'll sort of just go over and work on the other and 
things will then sort of fall onto back burners without even me paying attention to that. Sure. To maybe get picked up and brought onto the main burner again in the future. But yeah, it's it's very easy for me to sort of just like, oh yeah, there was that other story that I was working on a long time ago. And like, yeah, I do want to go back to it because I mean, every story, there's always something about it you love, but if you maybe just pick out one thing from it later and put it in something else, that's not a terrible thing, but yeah. Yeah, that's kind of where I am too. Like I've, I've with my new story, I'm finding like I'm using a lot of different elements from all the other stories I've done already and hope, hoping that they work better in this one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, Backburner is never a bad thing. And I, I can't remember who... Damn it. You know, I'm really having this like issue with remembering authors' names right now. This is a problem, guys. Because remember like that other author from the last recording and I sent you guys a message like yes, three days later, finally remembering the author. So some author who's brilliant and wrote a book that I like had said, whoa, the train just totally derailed. What was I talking about? <laughs> um, <laughs> talking about the back burner. Oh my God. Back burner. Okay. Thank you. That was, that wow. was fascinating, okay. Virginia. Truly really fascinating. That was a thought mid thought, but yeah. From sixty to zero in one second. Yeah. No, it's it's it happens to me a lot. Like it's it's really a hilarious sometimes because like I'll be telling a story to my boyfriend and he'll look at me and he'll be like, and then what? And I'll be like, What are you yeah. talking about? Well, I was doing something. <laughs> I was like, Oh, I was uh, oh, I hadn't even finished the story yet. Well, good for you for listening, but uh, I don't remember anymore. So that's my story. Um, <laughs> anyway, so there was this author that said something about how putting things on the back burner isn't a bad thing because of exactly what you mentioned, Aaron, about how you end up pulling elements from these back burner stories to create a better story mm-hmm. later. Well, I'm going to call it better, but you yeah, know yeah. what I'm trying to say. You having already mapped out something allows you to then branch out even further with your next story. So even if that story never goes anywhere and stays in the back burner for eternity, there are elements of it that you would never have come across unless you had started that mm-hmm. project. And those elements are then going to feed your next storytelling projects because you've been there you know what it's like and you're comfortable and you can go oh well i've already thought this now let's expand let's create the next level and i i think it's a very good thing that a lot of people think is terrible but they just need to look at it in a different perspective yeah. and i know for me like even if i outline a lot i discover things about the like the story as i'm writing it and sometimes it doesn't always work with what i have planned so like once i have you know that experience of what i'm actually trying to do mm-hmm. i can able i'm able to better incorporate it in other stories and that's good. And it's also like, you know, it's the same idea of, you know, something that didn't work, you know how yeah. to make it work. And that's, that's good too. Learning from mistakes. Absolutely. Like Thomas Edison. Hey. <laughs> but I do refuse to say that I'm abandoning the story. It's still, yeah. it's still, you know, it's still on a low somewhere in the back. Yeah. Well, it's like my, my uh, ever uh, elusive Melissa Anderson story. Yes, Melissa. <laughs> so I totally know what you mean. Not abandoned. Yeah. It's just, Perkly. you know, gonna yeah. let it simmer, marinate a little. The flavors will come <laughs> out better. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm a big believer in that nothing is ever abandoned and that you can always, like, pick the old stuff for newer things as well. I mean, Stephen King tried to abandon mm-hmm. Carrie and that didn't work out for him. 
it actually worked out for the best. I mean, and one of the most like famous sayings about getting stuff released is that no book is ever finished. It's just abandoned because it gets sent out to the editor. That's when it's abandoned, when it's sent out to the world. And it's like, you can't change it now. Unless you're yep. George Lucas, and then they take it away from you after a while, anyway. Oh, God, right? Just stop, George. Oh, <laughs> I feel like I've heard yeah. that quote before, but just like the other one, I I don't fucking know who says anything anymore. So whatever. Okay, Virginia, I, I feel I feel like all quotes are misgiven to like other people that have said it. But thank you. Sure. You know, it's like the use the force, Harry said Abraham Lincoln on the USS Enterprise. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Who's the fall, Harry? It, it, but it's so yeah, true. It's just work. like, you know, eh, it's close enough. <laughs> so maybe that's what I'll do. I'll say that as the great Abraham Lincoln on the USS Enterprise said. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Keeping things different, I suppose. Speaking of differences, so there's this, there were some incredible articles that have come out recently, and along with several movements that we're all fairly aware of, unless we live under a massive boulder, um, where diverse... under that boulder, but I still get people talking. Right? That boulder is in a club. Like, it's very expensive. I'm jealous of the boulder people now. I know, me too. Um, but uh, yeah, so the people who don't live under the boulder, who are unlucky, um, we know that there has been an incredible push in storytelling uh, in all of its forms um, to be more diverse. Uh, we have uh, the best upcoming example is Black Panther, which everyone is like, this is the most diverse film ever, which is kind of silly because it's not really diverse, it's all one race. Except right. for the yeah. two it's just black and people. white people, but <laughs> I get what they're trying to say. I mean, they've, right. they've got uh, Frodo and Gollum in it. Like, there's, there's two white guys okay. at least. Yeah, yeah, they're Bilbo, the two yeah. Tolkien white guys. And uh, oh, yeah, I see what you did there. Yeah, Andy Circus is the other one you're thinking of. But you know, like diversity has. So I had this really fascinating conversation with a couple bookstores of mine where I was talking about, you know, hey, let's let's start bringing some different books. And we talked about diversity. And one of my stores literally said, nope, we don't have anyone asking for diverse books. And I was like, really? And then I looked at her book list, like what she orders on a daily basis. She orders everything. Like she orders from all different walks of life, all different studies. So her bookstore is the most diverse bookstore. Therefore, no one's asking for more diverse books because it's they're already... all there. That's and it's like, wow, that's, yeah. that's wild. Like, I didn't know that could exist, but it, it does. Um, meanwhile, other stores in true white America are like, yeah, they would like some more books about refugees, more books about Hispanics, you know, the, the, the normal things that people are always pushing for. But then I also had a fascinating conversation with, uh, someone who works in the publishing industry, um, a few people actually, now that I'm thinking about it. Do I remember their name? Of Absolutely not. not. And um, they, uh, we were talking about diversity and inclusivity, and we were chatting about, you know, what what is diverse. And so a lot of them were defining diversity as 
these very liberal standing values and it's like oh diversity mm-hmm. is pro-choice diversity is gay rights diversity is this and i'm like so you're excluding like half the population who's straight half the population who's conservative half the population who's pro- obviously i'm totally <laughs> rounding up numbers here i don't care what the statistics are please don't correct me on it but you you're yeah. getting my yeah. idea that those who believe in diversity, those who believe they're creating a diverse area of entertainment are actually very limited. They're not being very diverse. And it was just this really bizarre feeling to suddenly realize that those who want to be diverse are the ones actually ruining diversity for the rest of us. And those who don't care about diversity are the most diverse people I know. And it just kind of made me want to talk to you guys about you know, in comic books and other forms of entertainment and writing and storytelling, have you personally wanted an increase in diverse titles? Do you not care? And what are your experiences with this new push for diversity, whatever that definition apparently means? I want to draw a distinction because I think this is important. But um, so when you look at, we, we said how Black Panther isn't really diverse because it's basically a black cast. <laughs> so it's true that it's not diverse within itself, but like within the market as a whole, it does create some diversity because, you know, the the general, like a general movie or like the, not a general movie in, individually, but like the swath of movies that are made tend to be, you know, yeah. white people. Yeah, the majority and of Hollywood's white, yeah. Right. And that's, um, so that's why I think you see these pushes to get things that are diverse in that sense, like not within themselves, but when you put it in the context of the market as a whole. And yeah. I, that's actually one of the frustrating things as a creative is that you 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 look at your own work and you're like, well, this is a good book. Why is no one paying attention? And like, oh, it's just got white people in it. That's not, you know, that's not the author's fault or anything. It's just mark, the market. It's frustrating, I think. It can be. Yeah. Uh, no, thank you for pointing that out, Aaron, because I, I that was the first thing I did kind of want to jump on is just in that sort of call for quote unquote more diversity is sort of being just making sure that all voices are heard and that groups that have often not been heard as much are sort of heard more. And I think it's more that than making sure that all the opinions are out there in a way. Um, That being said, to move on to like the actual topic, um, Yeah, there's a weird schism going on right now in the comic book world about sort of, like, I, I hesitate to say diverse, diversifying characters, but so brief catch up. Mm, catch up. Basically, Mar- Marvel can't get anything right, no matter what side you're on, because there's a bunch of people screaming about all of these new, more ethnically diverse, more sexuality diverse characters being pushed to the forefront. And yet there's also a giant group of people on the other side screaming that they're not getting enough of a push or that their books are getting canceled too quickly. And I don't really view myself as being on either side of that because I I do kind of take a very sort of like, well, this is just kind of the economics. They're not going to print a book if it's not selling, especially in the world where like profit margins on comic books are getting a little 
tight and the whole buying comics is in a huge state of flux right now is whether or not like comic book shops are still going to be a thing a couple of years down the line or if everything's going to move to digital or if everything's just going to become trade paperbacks and be sold at Barnes and Noble. But if we're just talking about stuff like Black Panther, like I'm incredibly excited to see Black Panther because it looks like nothing that I've ever seen before. It is using, I believe the term is Afrofuturism. Mm -hmm. I could be wrong. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's not great. something I've ever seen in a movie with this kind of budget and scale. And if you want me to be excited, show me something I've never seen before. Right, so sure. this is why, like, I want more voices. I want more people to sort of come in and be telling stories because if only people who are sort of like me are telling stories and I can't find new stories to then also like sort of have influence my stories and sort of get a nice feedback loop going of new and old and mixing stuff together. Like I, I'm a very big believer that we all should be picking and choosing and pulling from one another because we're all just people. We're all trying to tell stories. And when you look at them, they're all about like heroes and people trying to do the right things. And I think that's sort of what connects us, but each person will bring a completely different look and feel to it, which I think we should sort of be sharing and getting more into that is why like I do think there should be more diverse people telling these stories because they're going to show me something new and that's going to impress me way more than just another sort of by the book movie that's just it's told really well but like it's not really showing me anything new if that makes sense yeah I think so no that that makes a lot of sense yeah and I mean in a perfect world Diverse diversity would it actually be a term because people would just grab stories because they are like EJR and they just want to read a different perspective. No one's selling a book by going, ooh, it's a transgender person who wrote it. Like Instead, it's, hey, check out this book written by some amazing mm-hmm. humans and read the amazing work they put together. Like In the perfect world, that's where I would love for everything to be because there are some fantastic... If, if you like Afrofree... If you turn out to like Afrofuturism, you should totally check out Nettie Okorafor. She's a fantastic author who is horrendously underrated. It is not even fair. Um, but uh, uh, yes. S- send that uh, name to me in Messenger later too. You got it. Check her out. Uh, she, she is now. To be fair, she is getting awards, and that's mm-hmm. pretty much all there is. And she has a very successful novella out right now that some listeners might know called Binti. But her novels are just so underrated. It's not fair because they're fantastic. But that's what I would love: is diversity not to be a selling point, but that we just are. That is mm-hmm. how stories are told. Is that this is a cool story set in Africa. This is a cool story set in Malaysia. This is a cool story set in Antarctica. Like, it's not, check out this white person writing about white things. Check out this black person. Check yeah. out this yellow person. You know, like, it, and that's, I guess that's what bothers me the most about this push for diversity is they're trying to sensationalize what the story is about, who's writing the story, mm-hmm. not what the story is. And I don't know. And I have seen things before that, People may have genuinely really liked the stories, but there have been times where I have seen a particular author of a minority group 
get really pushed and then me coming along and being like this is kind mm-hmm. of not good but i don't right. know if i can say you gotta be on the, on the right agenda because of all the other yeah. things in there. kind of put yeah. into this which kind of makes it weird to talk about it's kind of like the ghostbusters issue where if you didn't like the new yeah. ghostbusters you hated women yeah and it was like no it was just a terrible story like <laughs> and, and that is really the huge frustration is that these can't just be stories sometimes like that because they are attached to this movement they have so much more on their shoulders and so any criticism of them can sometimes be conflated with criticism of the movement which a lot of times that's not what people mean there are terrible people out there who do mean that and that is unfortunate and I think that's enough. This is another reason why I hate the internet so much. Uh, not, not that I hate the internet. The reason I hate social media so much is because a person will tweet a thing in praise or condemning against it, and all people will have to go on is this one two hundred and I forget is it two hundred forty two hundred eighty now two two eighty close enough. That's all you have. There's no depth to it. There's no like, oh, can we actually see if like did they mean to truly be attacked? Did it was it just a comment? But everything is now like sensationalized and we get into these bubbles of these feedback loops where all we seeing is a more and more straw man example of the other side of the people who are critiquing or not critiquing who are against this instead of just like, oh, we should just examine this story mm-hmm. on its merits because we feel like yeah. People disliking the story are therefore then attacking our entire way of being, which is normally not the case. There are, unfortunately, those terrible people out there, and that's why we have to sort of qualify a lot of this conversation, that we are not say, like against any of this. It's just that we, yeah, it, it's hard. We just think the movement is going too far in the wrong direction, maybe. Uh, I don't want to say too far far and i definitely don't want to say in the wrong direction because i do think it is oh yeah that's that's, that's wrong a call a call for diversity i think is always a positive thing yeah i but i do feel like sometimes things get lost in that call yeah that's that's what i meant because you're right it is a good direction to start talking about these other perspectives it's just getting lost in the call is this sensationalized look at not paying attention to the story, but paying attention to what it's about. And as a result, you're losing the value of storytelling. I think Um, sensational is the word. Um, Well, at least what gets me about it is people's outrage. Like with something like Black Panther, just for example, like if someone, like we've talked about with Ghostbusters, like the minute you say something against it, you just get shut down. You're like, wait, wait, I'm not even talking about like Mm -hmm. anything to do with, you know, black people or (laughs) as if, but you know, I'm talking about like the story is bad. I haven't seen the movie. I've got no idea if it's a good story or not. It looks it looks awesome. But like as an example, yeah. Well, none of us have seen Black Panther. It, it's not out yet. It, it, so. it doesn't come out in America where we all live until this week, uh, right? Friday, technically Thursday, when I'm going right. to go see it. But, but you get what I'm saying, right? Yeah. Is like uh, that is the outrage mm-hmm. on culture on the internet where like you just people don't let you talk. They just shut you down. That's what I can't stand. Yeah. I'm like, well, they're not, if you're not going to have a conversation, you already decided like that I'm wrong, then okay. I can't. That, what do we... mm-hmm. Yeah, or it's like you're, you're branded as a racist because you don't like Black Panther. You just might not like right. the story chosen. And that's nothing to do with race. It's just yep. I didn't like the script writer. Which is why like it is, I guess, problematic to tie a piece of media to a movement so mm-hmm. wholly, so completely. But yeah, it's, 
because it it gets hard to sort of diverse uh divorce it and i i do have to say that i do kind of understand why some of these people have such the knee-jerk reaction to hearing critical feedback about a thing that they have tied to the movement that they personally are a part of because there are unfortunately a lot of those people out there who are attacking them just to be racist mm-hmm. or misogynistic and i I get why you would they have the knee jerk reaction that they're being attacked because they often are and it is hard sometimes especially when it is just sort of this wall of just tweets and you don't know which ones are actually being right. critical and which ones are at being attacked and and like why would you want to use your like limited energy to try to weed them out right yeah I get that too yeah. so like it, it it makes sense to me and. Twitter and Facebook are the worst, and we should just abandon all social media and go back to smoke signals. Um, <laughs> I support. It is, it is just See, a fresh I'm more carrier yeah. pigeon than smoke circles, but yeah. Mm-hmm. I just pigeon. See, I live in New York City, so I have to deal with pigeons on a daily basis, and they are the worst things ever. I don't want more pigeons. I don't want more pigeons coming at Fair me. Enough. There Fair is enough. enough time where I'm just walking down the street, and the pigeon will fly just right next to my head. Oh, geez, like swooping season. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, smoke signals are the best, but yeah. Well, thank you for helping to validate my concern <laughs> that, you know, diversity is becoming this bizarre thing and it's not as clear as it could be and <laughs> as a result complications ensue so good to know i'm not alone in the thought yeah. thank you <laughs> no and uh, honestly that 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 is one of the biggest things because i think a lot i love talking about these kinds of issues because i find them very fascinating also yeah. um i guess after the fact disclaimer both me and Aaron are very white, and Virginia is the only sort of like ethnic yeah. person we have on here. I'm half white, half Asian, to be specific, but I like to call myself a hybrid because that's apparently an insult, but I think it's hilarious. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, you get very good gas mileage, which is kind of cool, right? That's um, what I always said. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think a, we are talking about this from sort of. Uh, I don't feel like any of us really have a stake in the game right. because of our lack. At least I don't feel like I do, which is why I don't always feel like I have an authority to speak about. But I I do find a lot of people have opinions on it that aren't the retweet from liberal pundit person that you always see. And I think a lot... Most people are uh-huh. a lot more gray about these issues than sort of the monoliths you often see online. Yeah. Ooh, that's a good way to put it because it's true. It, it does feel like when I was having that conversation with those people about what is diversity and that that was what they, that was their first gut reaction. That's how they describe diversity in examples. It becomes this very black and white issue. Whereas the idea mm-hmm. of diversity is great territory all around. And that's what makes things beautiful. I mean, literally, diversity is having gray. Like right, exactly. <laughs> All the shades of gray. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As long as it's not fifty shades of gray. All fifty of them. Oh. <laughs> uh. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 yeah. Do you have some advice for for us writers out here? Yeah. So to finish up. To bring it all back in my sort of new year of 
re-examination. I, I love finding these newer books on writing that come out. I don't, I don't read all of them because no, ain't nobody got time for that. But every so often I'll come across one to be like, oh, I shall pick this up and I shall read through it because I do find it interesting to hear other people's thoughts about writing and especially hearing their processes. That's a big reason why I started this podcast and a big reason why I think this is a far superior podcast to a lot of other people because we do have three very diverse. Yeah, totally not know. biased. We're not totally not biased at all. But we, unlike some other podcasts that I've seen where a lot of people are just kind of agreeing and going off each other, I do think each of us have a very different approach to writing. Like, Virginia has always said she's all about, like, finding the passion and going about it from the heart, whereas Aaron is very, like, workmanlike about his craft and does it every day. And I'm very sort of experimental and sort of love to just try everything and go about and just trying to figure out like what works, what doesn't work, and just tasting the giant palette that's out there of different types of writing um, and storytelling. So I came across... Yeah. Would you say that we are diverse writers? We are a diverse group of writer, writers, yes. Yeah. Um, How about that? Yes, nice calling it back. So I came across this one called Damn Fine Story by Chuck Wendig. I, haven't, I think the only thing I've read by Chuck Wendig was the first uh, Aftermath. Uh, Star Wars book, mm -hmm. but I followed him online, mm. and I followed him on Twitter, and he's one of the few people that survived the big purge that I did, and so when I saw that he was promoting his own writing book, I was like, oh, I shall pick it up, and I think I found the perfect statement about writing advice, or at least my perfect statement about writing advice, and it goes as thus. A lot of writing, storytelling, and even publishing advice is bullshit but never forget bullshit fertilizes mm -hmm. i love it it's true which as a person who has sort of always always has like a bunch of like caveats and yes buts to all of my sort of writing advice to every but i have never found a rule in writing that can't be broken at least 0.01% of the time. Like, I, I don't think I've ever come across a rule that's completely 100% always true. And then I found this one, which just kind of perfectly encapsulates that, like, yes, a lot of this is bullshit, and a lot of this doesn't work for a lot of people. But bullshit fertilizes, and there is stuff that you can gain from it. There is stuff that you can build upon from it. So really, I just... Really wanted to point out that quote because A, it's brilliant, and B, it completely encapsulates all of my feelings about writing advice. But also, I'd wanted to ask you guys, like, A, what do you guys think of the quote? And B, uh, what are sort of, how often do you go out looking for writing advice? Like, how often do you read books about writing or listen to podcasts about writing or YouTube videos? Here's what I think. Here's what I've got to say about the quote. I think it works in the sense that, like, Yes, a lot of writing advice um, is too maybe strict or is too formulaic. But as long as you're like reading it and thinking about it, it's got you thinking about your process and, and your work. And it's fertilizing in that sense. That's how, that's how I take the quote. Um, uh, I, I was just kind of admiring that you guys have a good point. I really like the quote. I think it's brilliant because it is so very true. I mean, when I wanted to try to join the publishing industry, all the advice was the exact same which was like, oh, you just got to work hard and, you know, pay your dues and it'll be great. And it's like, 
cool. Thanks. I love that voice. <laughs> you gotta pay your dues. The point being is like, okay, that is a bullshit statement. Like, let's all let's all agree. Up. Well, hopefully we can agree. If we don't, fair dues. I respect your opinion to not agree with it, but I think it's a bullshit statement. However, in that persistence really is a useful skill to have to enter the publishing industry or any industry for that matter. Right. But for my purposes personally, you know, that, that advice was terrible, but it had a truth to it. If you simplified the advice, if you went and pushed through all the muck, there was the diamond in the rough. So I like it. It's interesting. I was just thinking that like, in some ways, advice <clears throat> that's aimed at yeah. everyone is going to be very generic, right? And not helpful. Like you got to persevere and like not useful for you in your case. Like I spent a lot of time online over the past few months looking like, how do you tell if somebody likes you? And it's all like bullshit stuff. Like they look at you a lot. Oh my gosh, like, right? Well, yeah, I know that, but like, yeah. <laughs> you know, you need somebody like beside you and like consider your case individually. And that you're not going to get that generally with advice, advice, mm -hmm. you know? There's not truth in that advice. It might not be, you know, what you need to hear right now. Although there's probably a kernel of truth in it, you know? Uh, and also, especially with, like, general advice, and especially, like, whether someone likes you advice, is it points at a truth but doesn't necessarily hit it, and you should always sort of look for the truth behind the truth. Mm -hmm. Like, I think the biggest example... Between the lines. Yeah. I think there the example that uh, works most is... When they say it's like, oh, just be yourself. That that's not the real advice. The real advice is to come off looking yeah. casual and being the best version of yourself. But people will mm -hmm. just hear, oh, just be yourself, and just be oh, like, oh, okay. okay. When that really doesn't hit the actual truth of it, and definitely doesn't give you any sort of actionable uh, thing to work on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's yeah. it's incomplete. I like that. Like, follow your heart. <laughs> okay, but like. You got to really listen to it first and like consider, you know, the constraints mm -hmm. on you and stuff like that. There's always a ca caveat, you know. Yeah, it's like follow your heart, but also listen to your brain. Might not be a bad yeah. idea. You got to get money for groceries too, though, you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if, if I could bring up my guru, uh, CGP Gray again. <laughs> In one of his videos, he does, he does say how he thinks the follow your passion advice is kind of bullshit because if you already had a passion you would already be following it and therefore don't need that advice. But instead, you should be out there looking, trying just a bunch of different things to see if you can find it instead of just following it. Because if you already knew it, you would already be following it. But it's still like really fun to read advice. Like I can't help, like even though I know these articles are bullshit, I still like I'm looking at them mm -hmm. all the time. Oh <laughs> like, yeah, and I, I adore I... going on the Pinterest and looking at those like illustrated motivational quotes. Like I do uh -huh. believe in myself. I, I knew I was right all along. You're kind of just looking for affirmation yeah, at that yeah. point, right? That's really what it is. Yeah. yeah you're just looking for like some confirmation <laughs> on your feelings already. Mm -hmm. uh, one one last thing about advice that I can think of is you always get these like advice from writing advice, particularly from these writers who have broken these rules themselves and it's so frustrating like i never want to hear brandon sanderson say no prologues like <laughs> f you dude because <laughs> you know it's true like it's true it doesn't work unless it works yeah. which is not helpful which is why people you know that is yeah, yeah that is so true i think that should be the title of our podcast <laughs> brandon sanderson should never say no prologues and once again, our weekly road trip must come to an end. 
If you have any questions, suggested routes of conversation, or you yourself are a fellow writer looking to hitchhike onto our show, please email us at threewriterspodcast at gmail.com. We're always looking for new passengers to pimp their wares. You can also like or follow our road trip on Facebook and Twitter. Share it with your friends, share it with your family, and leave reviews wherever reviews are able to be left. Now, if you find this journey helpful, interesting, or at the very least entertaining, please help keep our gas tank from running on empty by leaving a per-episode donation at patreon.com slash threewriterspod. Now it is time to move my foot from the gas to the brake and pull loose our keys for Virginia. Y'all come back now. Aaron. I'm mad as hell, and I'm not gonna take it anymore. And myself, now that we've made a left. You go right. You know, I just realized this is, I think, the first cold open that I start. I think so. I think I I noticed that, too. I don't think I've ever started. This is exciting. All right. I hope I don't mess it up. <laughs> well, it's very easy. You just start talking, and then we'll start replying. So. All right. Cool. You guys ready yeah, now? Mm-hmm. Nice. Have, have you guys watched any of the Olympics, or...? Yes. Yeah. Anything ski and board related. So this this shows love because I'm really excited to see Chloe Kim, and uh, I'm here with you guys instead. <laughs> uh, I'll watch it when I walk through the living room and it's on the TV, and then I'll go to the fridge and then I'll walk back out of the living room and back to my room. That's about the extent of my watching if i'm in the room i'll watch it but if i'm not i don't really care about sports but yeah yeah no i'm i'm all in it for the olympics just like all this stuff yes all of it i everything that has to do with skiing and snowboarding and then i do get it get um entertained by speed skating and figure skating's okay i guess i guess not really into it I just like all the My gays. only reason I'm not into it is because what? Because of all the gays. That's why I'm into it. <laughs> that's why you're into it, the gays. Yeah. No, I'm I'm not into it because I don't understand the scoring system. Like that's my only thing. Is I don't I don't understand the scoring. What I think looks great is actually like the worst performance ever. And I'm like I I just not even gonna try. <laughs> yeah. I watched a video of that they made it look like a pug was doing the ski jump, but. <laughs> of course you did. I want a pug. <laughs> How many pug movies would you say you watch in, in a day? In a day, probably about three or four. Wow, that's a lot of pug videos. That sounds adorable. <laughs> the thing is, they're only like a couple of seconds long because I watch them on Instagram. Like my Instagram uh-huh. is like fifty percent pug and corgi, twenty five percent comic book <laughs> artist, and. Uh, another 12% are like friends and then the final 12% is like attractive women with tattoos but you know nice yeah. I suicide like squirrels uh, suicide girls is a very good thing no. suicide squirrels <laughs> suicide squirrels <laughs> yes 
Oh my god! I would so want to. I'm just picturing a bunch of like squirrels in like frilly bikinis (laughs) and tattoos with huge gauges in their ears. But yeah, I support this with like eyeliner. Can't forget the and like. Their, t- their, yes. their tails will be like multicolored, like you know, mohawky. That'd be super cute. Suicide squirrel. Yes. Okay. Uh, so I guess we should get to the actual episode then. 